Hello, for watching and attending the San Francisco Probation Committee meeting on September 14, 2022. The meeting is being recorded, and by staying in the meeting, you agree to be recorded. This meeting is chaired by Margaret Broadcom. Ms. Broadcom. Thank you. So I'm calling meetings to order at 537. Um, and will the secretary call the roll? Yes. Margaret Broadcom present. Linda Martin Jordan. Could you please speak into the microphone? Like, okay. Thank you. Joanna Lapo, present. Joanna Lapo, not present at the moment. James Sengola. Right. Just quorum. I have two on the agenda. Yes. Item number two, which is the historical past at any time in the past. Is um, a health crisis, and that as a result, we're for members of the commission. We have ordered illness. You can participate. Is there public comment on the resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings at the California Government Code Section 5495BE? Any public comment? Mr. Husak, is there any public comment remotely? Uh, there's no public comment. Thank you. Okay. Is there a motion? Uh, there is someone now. Dinky Auntie. Do I leave them? I think he's saying there's someone who doesn't respond to comment now. But Cheryl, you're still host, yeah. so you'll need to unmute her. You're hosted, aren't you? Uh, well, just a second. Mostly you're not hosted. We're waiting for a uh, comment from Dinky. You hear me now? Could you speak up, please? Of course. Public comment on the resolution. Excuse me, this is public comment on the resolution about having hybrid uh, uh, meetings. So we will, in a minute, take a general public comment. So, unless there is testimony about this particular resolution from the hybrid meeting, uh, I think a motion and a second. There is a motion hand raised. Ms. Enti, do you wish to speak on this item or on general public comment? General public comment, please. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, we can go ahead with the motion. I believe that Commissioner Lapo yes. made a motion. Second. 
Can they hear me? The podium mic is on. The podium mic is on. Good. And if I turn it back on, if you turn that on, we'll just beam back in the room. You're not supposed to keep it on. But the only option is to then mute. We were told not to keep it on. Why don't I? Sorry, huh? With some new vodka on
I think the issue is now we have a lot of echo in the
Thank you, Cheryl. So we will move on. Our apologies. So we were doing public comments and I to everyone. Uh, and if the two people who have already commented um, want to repeat their comments, this is now that people online can actually hear, um, you are absolutely welcome to do that. So let's continue to take public comments. If people want to come to the microphone or to repeat their comments. So this is, let me just explain what we're doing now. So this is an, an opportunity, opportunity at the beginning of every meeting where you can come and talk about whatever you want to talk about. So the two people have already spoken, um, we're using this public comment time appropriately. Um, and where you talk about something that is not on the agenda. If it's on the agenda, you wait. But if you want to just participate in open public comment to make comments on whatever aspect of our work we want to, now is the time to do it. So I think the two people we've heard from are actually doing what this period is intended for. So here we go. We are now having public comments. I'm sorry, it's extremely difficult to make out what's being said. Um, are you asking for a public comment from yes. online? Okay, there's there are two people in the queue. And we have a lot of people in the audience, so I really want to invite you all to be part of this public comment. I assume that's what uh, Wesley, go ahead, please. Hello, can you hear me all right? Yes. Okay, perfect. Hi. Hi. I'm Wesley, and I serve on the San Mateo JJDPC as well as Juvenile Justice Commission as well as the Youth Commission. But just to be on the safe side, I am not speaking in any official capacity. I, I just wanted to say really briefly that uh, let me preface my statement by saying this, that um, I, I tried really hard to connect with the San Francisco Juvenile Probation Commission or the JJDPC equivalent, and it actually took me quite a while to find this commission. So I'm really glad that I was able to find this commission and attend the meeting today, uh, though it was quite an arduous process, and I would encourage the commission uh, with full respect uh, to consider either meeting on Zoom or another platform uh, or fixing this platform so that we could see the meeting as it's taking place and also that the public could have easier access uh, to this meeting. Uh, on, on another note, for the main purpose of this public comment, I'd like to raise uh, to your attention the issue of restorative justice and having a clear diversion program available to our youth. I'm currently pioneering the effort to start a youth court program or a restorative justice peer diversion program in San Mateo County. And from what I understand, uh, the only form of diversion that San Francisco has 
is Huckleberry. And while Huckleberry is great, I would love to communicate with uh, commissioners and also members of the public or perhaps even the staff from prob probation uh, to continue this discussion about restorative justice and having uh, actual, as I said, restorative justice that focuses on community restoration and community healing and has a greater em emphasis on uh, mental health. And I believe that restorative justice has a recidivism rate of 4%, which is uh, from what I understand, much more successful than Huckleberry. So I'd really like to continue this discussion as it's much more nuanced than just recidivism rates. And um, it's it's pretty difficult to hash out all the details in the form of a public comment. So what I'll do right now is I'll, I'll give my uh, email address to Michael and I hope to connect with all of you uh, some other time. Thank you so much for all your work uh, from San Mateo County. Uh, and and I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And I would like to explain to people um, how this public comment works because uh, we are not, we will not respond to public comments because the things you're bringing up are not on the agenda. Nevertheless, I think people needing their contact information, the commissioners considering what is being said or future agenda items and follow up meetings would be a good way to do this, but I want to understand not to expect a response from um, that company at this, at this meeting. It would violate the So let's continue this making public testimony. Do you want to take it? I'm sorry. Again, it's really hard to make out what's being said in the room. Um, are you asking for more the next person to give public comment? We have somebody standing at the podium. I'm ready. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, appreciate you all, commissioners, here with us today. My name is Queen Vanessa, and I am a born and raised survivor of Hunter's Point War on Drugs. And although I just heard everything you said about not giving us a response, so actually I am here to leave some information, hopefully get back on the agenda. I came here today because I'm a little concerned about what's happening with the juvenile proposal on the advocacy. not even aware that this is happening. When I talk to people on the street,
I'm talking to doctors. I'm talking to school teachers. I'm talking to foster parent mothers. And a lot of people don't even know this is happening. So I would like to introduce to you a project that I would like to introduce is called Felonies is Not Your Friend, where it's, a, it's an intervention to help young people understand the prison politics. I heard the buzzer. You don't have to give it to me again. I just hope you understand what I just said, and I will be leaving my information. I am familiar with a couple of commissioners, Spingola, and everybody, and I'll be keeping y'all aboard. Thank you. Thank you. If we want to leave uh, information, I think you can leave it with uh, our secretary, Cheryl, who's acting as our secretary today, Cheryl Allen. Um, and if anybody, this, this would be very helpful to have the names and contact information of people who are speaking. Yes. I just want to confirm that people getting different types of different people, they may can or can't. Did you hear say they're trying to make sure that you guys can be heard before you start? Um, Okay, we are we will take a five minute break while we will work out our technical audio problem that we can learn to see it. That's really I understand that, but we were told to.
Yes. So you should be able to hear me on WebEx and there shouldn't be an echo, hopefully. Ten four minutes. <laughs> check one, two, testing podium. Mic. Michael, is that check okay? Check, check. Yes. You can okay, hear that? Cool. Yes. Perfect. Yay. Right, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Media Services for San Francisco City Hall for coming to our rescue. <clears throat> So we will continue with the public comment and I'm asking people to come up to the microphone. Okay. Okay, go ahead. All right. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It, we're, we're there. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hi, my name is Kiara. I'm an SD advocate at the Young Women's Freedom Center, and I would like to uplift the voices that cannot be heard today by addressing the malicious behavior from the SF Juvenile Department and Probation Department who have not made the right decision to accommodate and positively influence our future tomorrow. Inside these institutions, they created a web that has trapped, that has, has I'm sorry. They have created a web that has trapped us inside the system and when we need to develop a solid foundation. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <sighs> when we need to develop a safety net that heals us and allows the people to grow, family is a foundation. And without a solid foundation, homes, businesses, and even the government can collapse. 
So why is the solution to sending a child out of state or holding them in detention a solution? It's like, It's common to hear about animals in captivity, but if I replace animals with humans and then replace humans with children, how would your heart feel? Do you think of your own child being put into captivity? I have no choice because my grandfather, my father, my brothers, and even my sisters have shared the same pain and trauma that the carceral system has created. We should be able to redeem ourselves to break the cycle of abuse and violence. We have the right to heal, to own and make amends for our mistakes and the right to resources and support to seek transformation on our own terms. We claim the right to be free from discrimination based on our own inter intergenerational histories of arrest and incarceration. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. Hi everyone, my name is Ari from YWFC as well. I would like to uplift the violence that cannot be heard today. I would like to uplift the voices as well by addressing the malicious behavior from the SF Juvenile Department and Probation Department who are who have not made the right decisions to accommodate and positively influence our future tomorrow. Youth's needs are very important to be heard and met due to the fact that the Freedom Charter states we have the right to self-determination. We must determine what success looks like for ourselves, for our youth. We have the right to lay our own paths free from punitive and controlling systems and input the voice around all services impacting our lives. We should have the right to our own determination where we are building independence to be free from the systems holding us back and reconnecting back within to the community. Thank you. I hope you guys can hear me now. Um, as I said earlier, my name is Tanea Jones. I'm a self-determination advocate at the Young Women's Freedom Center, and this is just a story and a background about me and youth that I work with today. From my own experience to the youth who are incarcerated to today have experienced neglect from probation officers, deputies, and JJC, and mostly anyone who are on their caseloads, such as government funding agencies who are supposed to help and support us. From the least amount of time of out of our rooms to not getting our basic needs met, such as better clothing, getting mental and emotional support, or simply just asking us what we need to make sure our needs are met. I want to hold these people accountable for their actions and understand that they, are, that they are not doing the job that they are hired to do. The youth that I speak with today should not be going through the same thing that I went through seven years ago. The progress do you, what progress do you guys see making because the only change that I see is the fight in our people. The fight we are tired of fighting, but will keep fighting until justice is served and our people are free from sexual and gender-based and physical violence abuse and exploitation perpetrated by our families, our partners, our community, the state and institutions. We have a right to defend ourselves from intimate communities, state and institutional violence. Thank you. My name is Stephanie. I'm a community organizer. I'm here to advocate on the behalf of appropriate adolescent department development. Young people must have the space to make 
to make mistakes and recover from mistakes without long-lasting consequences. Me being a youth in juvenile hall, knowing my mistakes led me to incarceration and my family not wanting me, I should have the right to be able to make my own plan with my support and make decisions that are best for me to break the cycle of abuse and violence. We have the right to heal to our own and make amendments for our mistakes and the right resources to and the right to resources and support to seek transformations on our own terms. We claim the right to be free from discrimination based on our own and or in intergenerational histories of arrest and incarceration. My name is Cece. I am a community organizer in San Francisco. I have worked inside juvenile hall during the mass incarceration in the 2000s and now working with the youth who are re-entering back, back in the community. Over the years working with the youth, I have witnessed the system has not made any changes. As people of color, we have the right to be consulted when institutions want to create, revise, and eliminate policies, legislation, rules, or laws that will impact the way we experience systems. We are best positioned to identify alternatives to incarceration, criminalization, and family separation. We should have insight over the system and institution that most impacts us. Thank you. Hi, <clears throat> my name is Violeta Vasquez. I'm co-founder to the Five Elements Youth Program, member to the Reimagine Youth Justice Coalition. I am here as an ally, community organizer, and concerned community member to support the statements made by my comrades in the coalition and with the Young Women's Freedom Center. As, as a community member born and raised in the city from districts 10 and 11, I am here as a witness to the systemized oppression and divestment of my communities. I echo that the best and safest communities are not the ones with high police presence, but the ones with the most adequate resources to meet the needs of our beloved community. Our folks know what they need. They are experts in their own right. Crea Jones hosted frontline gatherings to focus on the role of the well-being advocate as an additional resource to end incarceration for young people in San Francisco. The findings were that youth and their family units and support systems need individualized support and care. There is no one-size-fits-all treatment for systemic oppression and neglect. Changing the conditions of our communities are a viable and op option for addressing poverty and criminalization, of which youth are the most vulnerable. Accountability that is not punitive or focused purely on punishment is possible if the resources are made available. If our collective efforts are focused on healing, then our community will be healthy. If our efforts are focused on punishment, then our community will be criminalized. 
If this organized body can wage resources and power to incarcerate and punish youth effectively, then it, it could also do the opposite, which is to empower and support our communities for a healthy and accountable future. Thank you. Is there anybody else either in the audience or online who wants to make a public comment on something that is not on the agenda? There is a caller in the queue. Hello, everyone. My name is Dinky Manikenti, and I work at the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice, and I'm also a co-chair of the Juvenile Justice Providers Association. I would like to take a moment to recognize President Brodkin. As a San Franciscan and an invested community member, I feel that over the past few years, she has made the Juvenile Probation Commission more approachable and more involved in the very critical work of the justice system. I am thankful to celebrate her and wish her a very happy birthday, even if it's a couple days early. She is a true champion for young people and models what tenacious advocacy looks like. I am grateful to know her and appreciate the example she sets to advocate for what's right, no matter how hard it may be. I value her, respect her, and am honored to advocate alongside her for reform. Wishing you a very happy birthday, Margaret, and thank you for all you do. Thank you. We're not supposed to comment, but thank you. <laughs> okay, is there anybody else who wants to make public comments? If not, I will move on to item four on the agenda, which is um, something we're a little late at, but it is a commendation that all commissioners have signed for our former president and uh, Joseph Arlano, who was on the commission for 12 years. <laughs> and he was president three different, for six, three different times. And I must say, I miss him. Uh, and he brought a kind of stability and continuity to this commission and expertise in how commissions work and what the work of the department entails. So we've all signed a commendation to him and we will see that he gets this commendation. Um, and if anybody would like to comment on that, uh, now is the time. I will take public comments on the commendation for Joseph Arlano. Hearing no public comment, we will move on to item five. Okay. <laughs> Does anybody want to make a motion to so um, move? Second. Commissioner Moses, anybody second? Second. 
Do you want to take the roll? Commissioner Margaret Brogkin, President. Uh, yes. Linda Martley Jordan. Yes. Joanna Laco. Yes. Toye Moses. Yes. James Bengola. Yes. This motion passes. We will move on to item five, which is the review and approval of the minutes. Um, I presume commissioners have had a chance to review the minutes of um, our previous meeting, even though it's been a while. Um, so uh, does anybody have any comments on this? Um, does anybody want to move to approve the minutes? I move. I second. Or whether you're asking commissioners to comment. Yes, ma'am. Um, so it's been moved and seconded that we approve the minutes. Is there any public comment on this item? Hearing none, um, will you take the roll? Margaret Brogan, Margaret Brodkin. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Linda Martley Jordan. Yes. Joanna Laco. Yes. Toye Moses. Yes. James Bengola. Yes. Motion to pass the minutes of July passes. So we will move on to item six, which is really the core of the this meeting. Um, and I'm very excited that we're going to be reviewing our annual report, um, which is a summary of what's happened. Uh, in the previous year, and it's a very important document from which we can learn what's been happening and develop uh, a roadmap for where to go. So I will call on um, Chief Miller to introduce and present this. Sure, thank you. Um, so for folks who are here tonight, uh, the annual report is uh, uh, an actual report. It's an, a narrative document with writing and data. Um, what we'll be sharing tonight are, are basically highlights of the data that we pulled out. This is for 2021. And I want to give great thanks to the folks at JPD who put this together. And I'm going to turn it over to Selena Cuevas to walk us through what we uh, identified as kind of the, the highlights and things that we wanted to bring to the commission's attention. And I just want to make sure that members of the community know that we also, there's also access to the full report itself. Um, but this is tonight the highlight of it. So what you see on the slides is, is not the full contents of the report, but it's the pieces that we thought were most important to talk about as a group tonight. Selena, thank you. Thank you, Chief. Uh, good evening, uh, commissioners and members of the public. As Chief Miller mentioned, my name is Selena Cuevas. How do I? talking to myself. All right, so my name is Selena Cuevas. I am presenting on the 2021 JPD annual report. To give a brief introduction on the scope of the annual report or the part that I am presenting on today, uh, what this focuses on is 2021 San Francisco juvenile justice system statistics as well as some historical trends 
and comparisons to 2020 statistics in order to provide some context to the numbers that are being presented. So in 2021, we've continued to expand on the stats that we report on. Um, still, the report looks at various points of the system individually rather than showing how cases flow through the system, which I think is what we're trying to get to in the next report. But that's something I just want to raise here. We're also mindful that these statistics do not by any means uh, represent the experiences of young people behind the numbers. It really just shows um, the juvenile justice system in San Francisco at a high level. Um, as I mentioned, we've really tried to expand on what we report on. Um, a big theme that is going to um, come up as I present on the report is continued declines that we saw in 2021 in comparison to 2020. Um, and because of this, extreme caution is needed when reporting statistics involving very small numbers of youth. And so this report um, follows city guidance to the greatest extent possible to avoid reporting on the combination of personal and case statistics that would yield subsamples of less than 11 young people in order to protect privacy and confidentiality. So in some places, we've had to aggregate up categories in order to not have less than 11 young people in a demographic or case group. Something else that I'd like to mention is that sealed records are included in the data that's presented in this report pursuant to Welfare and Institutions Code 787. They historically have not been reported in JPD annual reports. Um, so this is a more accurate number or reporting of numbers than we've seen historically. And to start, I'm going to highlight patterns seen across the juvenile justice system. And so first, I'm going to highlight what I just mentioned, that 2021 was a year of continued declines from 2020 that was really seen across all system touch points. So admissions declined by 38%. The average daily population declined from 17 to 14 young people on average each day in juvenile hall. Um, referrals to JPD declined by 25%, petitions filed declined by 36%, petitions sustained by 27%, and then our active caseload on the last day of the year declined by a quarter. And still, despite these declines, we continue to see very large racial disparities for Latinx youth, but particularly and especially for black youth who account for 6% of all youth in San Francisco, but were vastly disproportionately represented across system touch points. And something that I found over and over is that disparities were even worse for girls than they were for boys. So black youth accounted for 58% of admissions, but you see that for girls, uh, black girls accounted for 65% of all girls admitted in 2021. Um, you see similar patterns for referrals to JPD and particularly for petitions filed where black girls accounted for 72% of petitions filed for all girls. And so while girls accounted for only about 20% of admissions, referrals and petitions, black girls were consistently the third largest demographic group represented at each touch point following black and Latinx boys. 
Another trend that we saw in 2021 was that older youth accounted for a larger percentage of youth represented across system touch points in comparison to 2020. So in 2020, uh, young adults ages 18 and older counted for 5% of admissions. In 2021, they accounted for 21% of admissions. In 2020, young adults 18 and older accounted for 13% of the average daily population in juvenile hall, and in 2021, they accounted for 29%. We also saw increases in referrals and petitions filed, where they were they accounted for 4 and 8% respectively in 2020, but both increased to accounting for 14% in 2021. Another pattern seen across system touch points was out of county young people and the percentage of cases that they accounted for. They accounted for at least a third of cases across touch points. Um, most significantly, as a part of our active caseload at the end of 2021, out of county youth accounted for 43% of young people on our active caseload. There were also some patterns within county. So within San Francisco, Southern and Eastern zip codes accounted for the highest percentage of both referrals and petitions. And then as for offense differences, something that was seen in 2021 was that assault accounted for a larger percentage of admissions, referrals, and petitions than they did in 2021, whereas robbery accounted for a lower percentage. In 2020, 75% um, of new law violation admissions were for robbery, um, which was significant. And in 2021, this dropped to about 52%. So still a large percentage, but we did see some declines. Well, there were some um, increases seen in assault. Okay, so those are all the patterns that were seen across system touch points. Now I'm gonna go through each individual section and highlight parts from the report. So starting with admissions to juvenile hall. So as I mentioned, admissions to juvenile hall decreased by 38% from 2020 to 2021. There were 299 in 2020 and 185 total admissions in 2021. We also saw that the percentage of mandatory admissions increased from 72% in 2020 to 79% in 2021. So just under 80% of all admissions to juvenile hall in 2021 were for state mandated reasons. There was also a decrease in detention override rate. So it decreased from 8% in 2020 and 2% in 2021. And so when looking at decreases in mandatory and non-mandatory admissions, mandatory, all admissions decreased right, by 38%, but mandatory admissions decreased by 32%, and there was a much larger de uh, decrease for non-mandatory admissions, so a 55% decrease. And then as for alternative placement youth in custody on the last day of the month, um, the pattern seen here is that the percentage of young people in juvenile hall awaiting placement. So 
the yellow slice of that bar um, decreased throughout the year, while the percentage of young people committed to juvenile hall and secure track increased throughout 2021. So the green and reddish parts of the bar. Okay, now focusing on average daily population. So the average daily population, as I mentioned, decreased from 17 young people in 2020 to 14 young people in 2021. The peak population reached in juvenile hall in 2021 was 21 young people. Um, it's important to note the average daily population is influenced by both admissions and length of stay, both of which we saw decreases in in 2021, particularly non-mandatory admissions. Next, looking at length of stay in juvenile hall. So here, focusing on length of stay for young people released. Uh, the mean, which is the average length of stay in 2021, was 19 days, um, which is unchanged from what we saw in 2020. However, the median length of stay, so the middle midpoint length of stay, which is less susceptible to outliers, very long stays or very short stays, decreased from nine days in 2020 to five days in 2021. Um, over half of youth, so 54% of young people released in 2021 were released in a week or less in comparison to 45% in 2020. Next, focusing on referrals. So referrals to JPD by year, here you see that the number of referrals, as I mentioned earlier, decreased by 25%, but in the past five years, the numbers of referrals to JPD has decreased by two thirds. So significant declines. Whoa. Referrals to JPD by young people. Um, so the number of unique young people referred to JPD in 2021 also decreased by a quarter. Uh, we also saw that one out of four young people, so 25% arrested in 2021, was arrested more than once in the calendar year. And looking at re-arrest, 55% of young people referred to JPD in 2021 had never been arrested in San Francisco prior to this year. So they were new arrests in San Francisco. And something else to highlight is that while the number of referrals to JPD decreased in 2021, we did not see those same decreases in referrals to CARC or to Make It Right. Those either remained the same or increased. So the percentage of referrals that were diverted to CARC and Make It Right increased from 17% in 2020 to 24% in 2021. Looking at referrals to JPD by most serious offense. So felonies accounted for just under two thirds of referrals with 707B felony offenses accounting for a quarter of all referrals and non 707B felonies accounting for 39%. Misdemeanors accounted for 22% and warrants accounted for 10% and violations accounted for 4%. So down from 8% of all referrals in 2020. Next, looking at petitions filed by year. So 
The number of petitions filed decreased by 36 percent from 2020 to 2021. The filing rate, which is the percentage of referrals resulting in a petition, decreased from 48 percent in 2020 to 41 percent in 2021. Next, looking at active caseload. So active caseload is very dynamic. It changes daily. And so because of this, we pull one day snapshots for our monthly report. We show as of the last day of the month. Here we show as of the last day of the year um, for 2021 in comparison to 2020. So overall, the active caseload declined by a quarter from the last day of 2020 to the last day of 2021. And highlighted in blue are the demographic groups that had the largest percent decreases in that one year time. So girls, white youth, younger youth, and youth from San Francisco experienced the largest decreases in active caseload. Next, focusing on active caseload that's active in San Francisco programs. So the percentage of young people on active caseload who are active in San Francisco programs increased from 39% in January to 64% in December. Um, it's important to note that most youth from out of county will not be reflected in this graph since they would be referred to programs in their county of residence and not San Francisco programs. But you do see an increase throughout 2021. Next, looking at sustained petitions. So the way that this is measured has changed over time to be a more accurate description of how many petitions were sustained each year. So there's only a two year comparison, but the number of sustained petitions decreased by over a quarter from 2020 to 2021. When looking at petitions sustained by offense severity, Non-707B felony offenses accounted for the largest percentage of petitions sustained, followed by misdemeanors, then 707B felonies, then violations. Um, I just want to highlight here that charges are frequently reduced through the adjudication process. Um, so that is something to note as you are looking at this graph. Then looking at petition dispositions by year. So uh, almost all petition disposition outcomes have seen significant declines since 2020. The two exceptions are commitments to juvenile hall and secure track, which were either rare or non-existent in the case of commitments to secure track prior to 2021. And then finally, looking at probation termination. So this is something new that we've started to explore and definitely want to explore further. But for young people who terminate probation in 2021, most of them terminate successfully, 96%. This, of course, raises other questions for us. How long were young people on probation? What happened to them during this time? And so that's something that like, we would like to do a deep dive on in the future. And I think. That's it for my slides. So I'm happy to take questions. So let me first see if the chief wants to add anything to that report. Sure, thank you. Selena, thank you for doing it so clearly and succinctly. That is a lot of information to bring into this space. 
Uh, I think the thing that I want to note is that, you know, the data reflects what happens across different touch points of the system. So it shows both decisions police, well, not both decisions police are making, decisions probation's making, decisions the prosecutor's making, and the court is making, right? So we all have different roles in this. Um, but I do want to say that I, I, I'm really proud about the data that you see in terms of the probation decisions, because what you see when you look at the report are decreases in the percentages of kids coming into custody for non-mandatory reasons. You see faster releases. You see uh, relative gains, though still low, with the number of kids getting to CARC, right? Um, and you see a decrease in violations. So those are violations are probation officer decisions, right? When we seek to violate a young person's probation. And so all of those touch points, those decisions, while we have a lot more work to do, I do think they're really consistent with the goals that this commission's been talking about in terms of the way that we do our business at probation. Um, and I also want to acknowledge the increase that you saw in the data on the number of young people who are connected to services. These are all things that are really important in this space. Um, and so I was very happy to be able to, to share that data with you as part of this presentation tonight, because they do reflect our work. Thank you. Um, I have some comments I'd like to make, if that's okay with my fellow commissioners, and then I'll turn to everybody to give everyone a chance. Um, to me, yes, moving in the right direction, overwhelmingly so. Um, with the data that you presented. I was overwhelmed by the last five years. We went from 1,277 referrals to 429. That, that is a kind of data you don't ever see. Um, and, you know, so a couple of things stood out to me. In addition to what we've talked about, and I think you did an excellent job of summarizing, really appreciated that a lot and recognizing we're moving in the right direction. Um, but <laughs> uh, there's a lot here that says where we can go. It's a roadmap in, in, in some ways um, about how we can continue to do a better job get, and do the things that our testimony, the, the young people providing testimony who talked about more connections to the community, et cetera, um, and what the kind of therapeutic healing approach they want to see taken. So just a couple of things. If 77% of the youth are first-time offenders, that are, have committed one crime, only one crime. When they, um, that's what I read it as, and maybe I'm missing a point. I think here. it's 45, 55%? Yeah. yeah. Well, I got 50% or there less than five days. Um, uh, we can talk about where I got the. A lot of the kids are there for the first time. The point being that these are young people we have a fresh start with. The last thing we want to do is, you know, get them deep into our system. So it really speaks to doing more and more and more at the front end and getting them out so that this they, it will only be one time. Um, I was really struck that only 14707B petitions were sustained in a year. These are supposedly the young people who are mandatory, who are the worst kids, who we set up a system. Only 14 young people actually had 707B petitions sustained. Um, it really speaks to the need that your committee is looking at about out-of-county youth. 
um, and the importance of that and the importance of warrants. It's a huge percentage of the young people we're dealing with. And when I hear 20, you know, misdemeanors, I'm like, why are we even dealing with misdemeanors? Let, you know, they should be going to CARC and we look at CARC and make it right. And yes, the numbers are improving, but they're still very low. There's a column up here and then there's the community stuff down here. Um, I have to say, you left this out, and I'm not quite sure why, but that whole section on um, use of community programs, we really have to talk about that because that reflects to me a problem in how the probation department looks at community programs. It was electric, electronic monitoring is called a community program for some reason. It's where most of the kids are. The rest are, and then the, the next highest percent are court ordered kids. This is not how we think about what a community program should be doing and what a community program is. And, you know, how many young people get sent to, to, James's program, how many young people get sent to, and it's, it's just not enough. We are not thinking about this in a way at this point that really reflects any pro, oh, I won't say any, but, and, um, progress. Uh, it, it's the way you even describe the problem, the, the data reflects to me uh, the problem. Um, and I do, I'm sorry, but, when we call 96% of young people who leave probation a success, um, I don't know what you mean. I think what you mean is they complied with the terms of probation. So that is a very narrow definition I, of success. Uh, and you can, you can uh, but I, I feel like when we're thinking about success, we're thinking about are they ready to go out into the world? What is their social emotional development? You know, are there people in their lives who love them? You know, do they have, are they capable and ability to care for other people? And this, nothing has a 96% success rate period about the, and it can't be about the things that I feel really are indicative um, of success. So those are some of the things I went over. Where are the AB 12 kids? It's a third of the caseload, not a word. I feel like I still don't know. And I, it, it isn't like I don't know how many kids, but I don't know. Do they have homes? Do, you know, are they involved in jobs? What, you know, what, what's really happening to those children? And lastly, and my fellow commissioners can speak more eloquently maybe than I can about this. The data about black boys is so horrific. It is so overwhelming. And, you know, it, it, I don't know what percentage of black young men in, in this town or in this system or in, or in the school system. It's a huge percent. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is a failure of everyone. It's a failure of the whole city. It's a failure of the childcare system. It's a failure of the healthcare system. It's a fa and it's, it's a failure that we see some of the results of and can't do too much to address. So those are some of the things and, that I've left some off my list that sort of 
stood out to me as ways, as indicators of the kind of path that we can follow and how important it is. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to make comments more than I wanted to <laughs> ask a question. Uh, but I have gi given myself a lot of time to make comments, so I'd like to give my fellow commissioners, unless you want to take issue with something I no, said. I just want to say two things. One thing is I should be standing where Selena is because you are giving her all of your feedback about it, but really that should be coming to me. She is the one providing the report, but the feedback about the content, I think, is not uh, necessarily directed to you. It's to the department. <laughs> um, and then the second thing I do want to, well, three things. Second thing I want to acknowledge, I, so much of what you said absolutely resonates. Um, the description of successful completion of probation, I believe, is a court decision that's yes. made. So just to answer that question, that is the court makes a finding at the end of a case whether they believe a young person has completed probation successfully or un. And we agree, and I think Selena's touched on that, that we want to know the, the, the more and the why behind that, we wanted to reflect that data point, but it is a finding just made by the court in the hearing. So uh, that's how much to kind of read into it. And then I also want to acknowledge that um, to your point about community programs, that's really why we're excited to dig into that in October. So we will be yeah. doing that at the October meeting to that point. For sure. I also want to acknowledge on that on you brought up the AB 12 young people. We weren't collecting the data in a digestible way like that in 2021. We are doing a lot more with that this year. So that is also something we want to get into deeply. Those young those young adults we work with. Um, but I want to acknowledge that's why it doesn't Thanks. have a place in here. So I want to go yeah. around this way. I will start with Commissioner Moses and then we'll go go around. Well, and give everybody. First of all, I just want to thank you for. Joe, well done, well presented. And um, I have a couple of questions. The termination, 81.96%, is that termination for good or termination for bad or combination? Um, sorry, can you repeat the okay. question? I was looking about probation say, termination, uh, yes. <laughs> is, is that, what is it, 81.96% termination? Is that after they complete the program? Yeah, so it is 81 young people, which amounts to 96% of all people who completed probation. Complete. Were, okay. Yeah, were deemed to successfully okay. terminate probation. And as Chief Miller said, that's a like, designation made by the court, not by us. So it's something that like we definitely want to dive into more to understand what that means. Um, this is our first time presenting on the data. So yeah, we haven't been able to dive more into it yet. Right. Also, but it is you, on my list. Do you say something about new law violation? Will you expand on that? New about new law violations, yes. So there are multiple reasons why a young person could be detained, which is why it gets really tricky to report on the reason why young people are detained. So we at JPD have come up with kind of a coding scheme that rates them in order of like most important to just like what would take pre precedence. And so um, new law violations are when a young person ages 14 or older comes in for a 707B offense or for um, being armed during the commission of a felony. Um, so those are what would be captured as new law violations. And so what we saw is that for those admissions, 
those that are coming in on an assault offense, we've seen assault increase, whereas we've seen young people coming in for robbery as a 707B offense, we've seen those cases decrease in comparison to 2020. Do you have any statistic on revolving doll syndrome, people who kind of keep coming back and go? Oh, about young people who keep coming back? Um, we haven't yet for this report, but that is something that like we are able to look at in the future. This was our first time, historically, JPD reports haven't done a good job of like looking at young people coming back and we did that for referrals so seeing how many young people had been referred in the year prior which was under half and now we can also start to look into that for admissions how many young people are admitted and it's their first time being admitted the one caveat is that we can only look at san francisco data so how many young people have been admitted to san francisco's juvenile hall for the first time. That doesn't necessarily sure. speak to other counties. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, Oops. hello, there we go. When you were speaking about the medium length of stay, how it decreased, what could you attribute that to? What was going on? That is something I'll hand over to Chief Miller. Yeah, the medium. The medium. Yeah, so I think that's a good metric. Um, it, it means a few things. One thing it means is that we're seeing, well, I mean, generally what it means is that the judge is letting young people out faster when they're going to court, right? Mm -hmm. But that can mean a whole variety of things. It can mean that there's a better job being done on case planning and on release plans being offered to the court. It can mean that we have places for them to go. So, for example, the foster homes that probation's been working on setting up with alternative family services means we have places for young people to get to faster who previously would have been waiting in the hall for a placement. So that's an important thing. So there's things that are in the good direction. Um, it, it also can you know, raise the question that I think is a fair question here about whether there are young people who do need to be detained until they get to that first hearing or whether we should be doing something different. So there's a lot of different threads, good and negative, that tie into that metric, right? Um, if young people are consistently getting released at that detention hearing, then you know what was the value in them being in the hall until that moment? Mm -hmm. Was it that the law requires it? Was it something else? There's a lot woven in. On balance, it's a good thing because it means that young people are spending less time in custody, which we know is not a positive experience for young people. And then my second question is um, 18 and older. Mm -hmm. The 18 and older population, um, what is happening with them? Sure. I, know, I know probation has thought out some new methods and that they're implementing those. Um, I don't know if they're measurable yet. Sure. But what is happening with the 18 plus because uh, their numbers really weren't changing that much. Do you mean the 18 plus who are on probation or who are working with out in the community or the ones in custody? Both. Both. So for the ones in custody, that is the big, the big sea change in juvenile hall and not just in San Francisco across the state. And that is because of the changes in the law, right? So young people, um, so with the passage of the law that closes, that's closing down DJJ at the state, it both means that young adults who previously probably would have gone to the state for long commitments are with us instead. And that is a fair number of young people in the hall today. Um, 
And then it also means that young people who under the old law, uh, if a young person working with probation committed a new offense after their 18th birthday, they wouldn't come back to us. Okay. But with the changes in the law, they do come back. They are actually held in juvenile hall, even though they've now committed an adult case. If they're released by the adult judge, they, they are with us. So, so we have, uh, we have different doors through which young people are coming. But what's most significant is if you look, the percentage of admissions went up of that age group, but that percent that actually comprises that average daily population in the hall went up more. They are here for much longer. And it is because they are the young people who have received those multi-year commitments by the judge as a result of that state, state DJJ closing. So we have now today six young people who have received that secure commitment in San Francisco, those commitments between two and seven years. Four of them are already in the hall. Two of them are actually in county jail resolving adult cases, and they will then also come back to us. So that is a completely new responsibility, um, and it requires us to really think about what programming looks like for them, what their needs are, and how we're going to serve them for what is a court-ordered term, long term of stay. So it's, it's a real sea change. And then for the young people in the community, um, that includes both young people who are non-minor dependents, they're AB12 youth, they are no longer on probation, they're being supported by our social workers. Um, and we don't have the data reflected in 2021, but we do know for today, for example, I could tell you how many of them are in supportive housing, how many of them are in transitional housing, how many are employed, how many are in school, which CBOs they're working with. So we have that information much more presently this year. Um, but they are a significant percentage of our caseload, and they are su supported by social workers and not probation officers. I guess, I guess, when I saw the numbers, I was concerned about what what type of engagement is happening for them, what is being offered to them, and are they even able to engage? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Are they able to take whatever is is given? So that was my concern. Sure. Um, but yeah, so you answered that. I don't think I had. Oh, and the girls, the black girls. I'm. I'm yeah, come on. Now. Yeah, and so, and, and this is, I mean, and we see it the most extreme with black girls, right? So the num overall number of girls coming into the system has significantly, significantly declined. And there have been months where there's no girls in the hall or one girl, for example. Uh, this, this week there are two and they are both young black women. So uh, it, is, it is the most overwhelming statistic. It actually came up during the closed juvenile hall work group also. Um, when the Burns Institute did their data analysis as the most horribly jarring and significant of all young people being represented in the system. They also tend to be more likely to be from out of county than our boys. Out of county, but they're here. Yes, yes. And, and sometimes, and not rarely, um, and actually when I'm thinking about the young women we have today, um, often uh, also dealing with cases in multiple counties. So they may have a very complicated route out of custody. They may be going from one hall to resolve their case in that county to another hall to resolve a case in that county. It's, uh, it's a very hard road. So I, yeah, I, I really want to hear more. And I think in, um, the annual report gives us a lot more of what's really happening no. yeah. you know, on the ground. Yeah, and, and I would go back to something that Selena said on the very first slide, which is because we really have limitations on how much we can dig in below a certain number, right, to talk in real depth about kids because of that ability to identify them potentially by what we say. And so because the number of girls is so small, which is a 
good thing. It does limit our ability to really give you all more details about them without kind of violating those data rules. And so it's a little bit of a challenge for us to give you that sense. And that's why doing it across the course of a year can tell a better picture than like month to month where we really have very little we can tell you about the girls, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm hoping that our program committee chairperson is tagging some of these issues. I think the 18 year old issue is just so important. I mean, we have to have more options for these young people. We, it's just, her, it's it's not the right thing to be right. to be doing. So it is something that certainly deserves attention of this group. Commissioner Spangola, do you have you. comments, thoughts, questions? Oh, did I? Did I? Did you? Finish? I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, Commissioner. I just kind of had a comment. I I am you know I I have never really been a data kind of person. Right? <laughs> we know that. But, I, but I'm starting to appreciate the data, right? <laughs> All right, because the data actually tells. When people look at data, the data tells a story. That's right. Right, and it and it and it throws a bunch of warning signs up too. And then the data is, you know, it it has its own kind of. You know, data be I always say, you know, with data is always about, you know, how many when we start talking about percentages, we have a percentage of six or a percentage of seven, you know, the data when you put the percentage in there, it always get kind of, you know, like does it really tell a story there though. But what what's alarming to me is that the black young black kids in San Francisco and it always depends on who you ask and who did the research. We are between five and six, between five and three of the population here in San Francisco. It always depends on who you ask. And I say that because it always depends on who benefits from the survey when they do a survey on black folks in San Francisco. Right, so whoever did that survey, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they, whoever benefited from it, got it. But when I look at this and I see the percentage of young black, young black men who's being arrested, that number is always so high to me, and it and it always out as high as always sixty, seventy percent higher than any other ethnicity uh, on the thing. So that stuff is alarming to me. Um, and it is, and they say, well, what is happening? And nothing has changed in the years that, you know, I first started this, you know, going through this system in juvenile back in 1970, you know? So it, it's, you know, it's not a lot has changed there. So we always stay the highest population incarcerated no matter where we at it's just i don't know i don't, you know it's it's alarming and i don't know what to do what what do we do to make them changes because it's a system that's in place that's you know that has us all you know messed up but i you know i don't agree with my president often but i do agree with her today when she said whenever you have a per 96 percent of something something's not right there <laughs> that means it's it's just like somebody's not playing fair <laughs> That's what I always say. You know, if you go to some institution and it's an institution, it's a federal institution, they have a 98% conviction rate that tells me all the time that they don't play fair. Yeah. So even when you talk about 96%, I just said that to say that 
you know, in that that's 90%, 96%. And I would just like to know, uh, you know, them completing at what age, you know, they completed it at 14, but what happened at 15 and 16? Did they come back and do it again? Yep. So that's what we need to know. You know, that's what I would love to get that data yeah. on, you know, at what age did they complete their first probation, right? And did they ever return and do it again? So that is that is very important when we start talking about, you know, the percentage of people that's being completed. And we complete what? You know, at the end of the day, I mean, the success rate of the recidivism with with our young people is that, you know, who follows them after 18 and say, you know what, oh, we just completed, you know, because, you know, that's, you know, in in the world we live in, y'all, that's the life, you know, it's like my my job is to get off of probation. And that's where, you know, I have these conversations with my young people all the time. So my their job come in is to get off probation. But that does that mean that it got better for them in life? Or did that mean they went to a... I did want to say, you know, sometimes we, we make decisions as a system and the court in particular makes decisions um, for really important reasons. And so closing a case successfully enables that young person's record to be sealed. So even if there may be some debate sometimes in court about really how a young person's doing, it's, it's an important decision that has a very big immediate impact for them on their record. Uh, so, uh, and so it's an interesting thing where we, we make a decision that uh, gives somebody a really important benefit, but maybe doesn't necessarily address the much deeper things yeah. you're talking about. And the same thing happens with the way we resolve cases. So a lot of cases that may get filed as a 707B, a serious strikeable offense, we have a, a, a history of over the years in San Francisco, very intentionally pleading those cases down to not resolve that way. And you see it in the data here because we don't want to give young people a strike. It may not necessarily represent what their behavior was in the moment, but it is a policy decision by the city that we really want to try to minimize that. So that we do make court decisions along the way that may not tell the full story, but afford really important legal outcomes to our kids. And that's, it's a value of the city. So we should find a way to tell another side of the story. Exactly. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. It should be definitely a way to tell, and not just that, it should be a way that, you know, or something in there that says that, you know, we have a system in place because we spend so much money on everything else, a system in place that, you know, that actually can follow a young person or say something, you know, I, I don't want to say use the word follow because it scares me when we start talking about following people. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just stay connected with our young people after an age and after they've been through the system to say, you know what, at 21, 22, you know, you, you're doing great because, you know, the work I do, I look around and I was just in there today. I'm generational, y'all. <laughs> you come in my space and anybody who knows me, I'm generational. I got my te my teachers right now. I didn't have since they was eight. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about my work, I'm generational. You come in my space. Everybody in my space been there for 20 years. <laughs> I got their grandkids. I got their niece. I got their little cousin. I got all that. And I look around. And I talk to the young people around there with me today. And I'd be like, wow, I remember I had your dad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's how, you know, that's how generational. And I can, I know where they're at. You know, so at the end of the day, you all, you know, we just, you know, as a, as a village and as a, you know, a people, a city, we just have to do better. 
That's all. We just we can't give up. We just have to do better. That is my two cents. Well, thank you for your two cents, Commissioner okay. Spangola. And I'm glad you've become a fan of data. That's yeah. so interesting. <laughs> so I would like to sure. turn to uh, um, neighbor. I have several not so cohesive comments. Um, one is that we should definitely be hopefully tracking those 707Bs that get pled down over time right now and make sure that that's still happening. Um, so a couple of things that stick out that seem like opportunities to think about programming um, from this. We're already thinking about those out of county kids. It's interesting to see where they're coming from. Um, so we're already thinking about that. I, I think we need to you know, keep it a priority. But even just looking at the distribution of where kids are coming from within San Francisco suggests that some more targeted neighborhood based connections and strategies are warranted. And if we know where the vast majority of kids are coming from and going back to, then maybe that should be built in from the very beginning. What organizations are we connecting them to? Are they local? Are can you know? Are there things that we can do to kind of um, recognize that fact and and build it in? Um, when we're looking at the uh, primary detention reasons, the admissions by primary reason, and I know there's mandatory and non-mandatory admissions. So obviously the non-mandatory ones seem like an area to prioritize. Um, if we're still trying to reduce the number of kids, and I know it's it's going down, but if we're we're looking for more reduction, and it would also be really helpful in a table like that to to see the share that are released at the first hearing. If you looked at all the kids who come in for these different reasons. Um, you know, how many stay or, you know, what's the length of stay and, you know, how many stay for the full uh, detention period? That would, that would be interesting to know. And what resources? Um, and it seems just like a couple of people have said, uh, differentiating services for what seems like first time youth, kids coming in the door for the very first time and kids were there for a very long time who are older. Those are just, that's got completely different jobs. Mm -hmm. So we should be talking about them separately and breaking out, it would be helpful to see when we see a breakout of what programs that kids are, you know, participating in to even think about the group separately so we can get a sense of what those older older youth are doing. Okay, I'm almost done. Um, I was wondering for table 12, the program referrals by program type, those are just referrals, right? That doesn't mean that kids actually participated or did they have to participate because the court referred them and if they didn't participate, then. Those are just referrals. Mm -hmm. The table below table 13 speaks to outcomes. Um, so young people who terminated how long they were in the program and then whether it was successful or unsuccessful. But yes, yeah. table 12 is just referrals made. Yeah, it would be helpful to know how, you know, what, what are the share? I don't even know if you can observe this of kids who actually go and participate after they get the referral versus the ones who are just referred. And let me say at our next meeting, mm -hmm. we're talking about the relationship yeah. with the community agencies and the department, and we should drill down on table 12 uh, along with other things. Yeah, and um, table 13 is super interesting. Seems like anger management, not that helpful. I know not that many kids are going there, but really doesn't seem worth it. And um, the just, Look at the mean and median length of stay yeah. for mental health therapy and drug and alcohol outpatient therapy. Those are like really hard things to do well, and it takes like hundreds and hundreds of days. So just to like recognize the 
the lift, I guess. And when we talk about like diverting kids and that being like a free pass to, you know, out of the system or, you know, what it, that is not a free pass. That is a lot of work that those kids are doing to participate in those programs. Um, and then I was wondering, you we were talking about the 96% success rate. I do think it's, it's great and it means that we're not violating kids for, uh, you know, unnecessarily, it seems. I wonder what the, what that statistic was in 2020 or what it's been historically. Is that a change or is that just? We, that, sorry, we haven't reported on it historically because our staff weren't sure about its like accuracy mm -hmm. to report out. But in 2021, they were totally confident that that yeah. is an accurate data set that we could report on. So we don't have that historical context. What's your sense? Well, I mean, I will say we have put specific measures in place to reduce the number of violations. Yeah. Right. So that so uh, in the department, we uh, probation officers can no longer individually make the decision to violate a young person. They have to actually have approval, not only of their supervisor, but of the director of probation services mm -hmm. um, and to seek a warrant as well. So they really have to go through um, just more due diligence and mm -hmm. making the case for why they have uh, tried to engage folks working with a young person first along the way mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and take all of those steps in a way that is more structured than it had been previously. And so you, you see the result, which is that there's fewer cases that go that way. I also want to add to that something that we didn't get to report on because it's a little harder to disentangle is length of stay on probation yes. before terminating probation. And so when we dive into that, there like changes that have been made recently might not always be reflected like if a young person was on probation for two years then the changes seen in 2021 that the department has implemented we would also see like what the practice was before and so that gets a little harder to disentangle but i do think there is a way to do it it just takes more time but something of a lot of interest to research and planning do you want to continue? Nope, that was all. So I think we've identified as a commission a lot of important areas to sort of delve into. <laughs> I wasn't tracking it, <laughs> but it certainly speaks to what the agenda should look like, you know, in the coming months. Um, and that is an item on our agenda about what the future agenda will be. So I'd like to take public testimony on this is that okay? <laughs> Excuse me. Public comment. Why do you care about that? What? Okay. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'd like to take public comment on the annual report. If anybody in the audience or online would like to come forward or raise their hand. And do we need to tell people how to raise their hand again? Oh, good. There are there. people in the queue. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hi, commissioners. Um, my name is Molly Brown. I'm a district one resident and I'm helping to volunteer with the JJPA. Could you talk a Could little you... louder? Sorry. Say your name again. Um, I think the first thing I want to say is thank you. For all that work because I know it was a lot of work um, and a number of things that we've asked for showed up so I really appreciate that so thank you 
Um, and I also want to commend the department on so many areas going down because that is really an indication of the progress that's been made under our new leadership. So thank you. And I also want to bring to your attention how few kids we're talking about. This is a really small number. So I think that we have an incredible opportunity to really make a meaningful difference in their lives if we pay attention to that and think about the data that way when we see it. It's not just the percentages, it's what those percentages represent in terms of numbers. For instance, um, and this is for 2021, I know it's been tweaked a bit where we are now, but it was 288 youth on the total caseload. 106 of those were the AB12, so they're not the ones on probation anymore. And 182 were actually on the probation um, officer's caseloads, if you will. So 182. And of that number, 43% are out of county youth. So that's a huge, uh, we're not talking a lot of kids. And now I, I think, unfortunately, there aren't that many services in the counties, but I think we're getting better at trying to connect them with that. But we spend $9 million a year on CBOs to work with that, call it 120 kids that we're talking about. So that's why I want to talk to you about your goals. I really would love to see the commission tie the goals that you came up with at your meetings in May and June to the numbers represented here. And we have baselines and you should be hopefully pressing the department to set goals with your approval and see how we're doing in meeting them. And I could offer up a couple just off the top of my head. One would be the number of youth eligible to be referred to CARC and the number of youth who were, were actually referred to CARC on a monthly basis. Not in a deep dive and not an annual report. Does that mean I'm done or I got 30 seconds? No, you have 30 seconds. Thank you so much. Um, so that would be one I would suggest. The, the warrants and the court order still seem to be an issue. If you look at how many youth admitted to the hall were admitted on a warrant or a court order, that was 34%. That's a huge number. So that's something we need to be thinking about and what can be done. And that goes back to what I would propose as a goal of connecting youth to a CBO. Oh, so sorry, but you know what I'm gonna say at the minute they get brought in. Thank and you. And it will be continued at our next meeting. Cheryl, is anybody else online? Um, there are three people in the queue. Okay. Go ahead. Good evening, everyone. My name is Nate Ford. Um, a few things stand out to me. Um, you know, we we talk about all these numbers and um, and about the kids on probation, but you know what I would really would like to see is follow up with these kids when they're offered probation. Maybe you know three to six months, making sure that they're you know in those sports programs or in those. Um, you know, uh, academic programs and they're getting the support and they're getting fees paid for and they're getting, you know, that type of stuff supported with them. A lot of times, you know, they're let go and say they're going to go to these programs, but they're off of probation and it's all, it all goes out the window. So to me, that's a, a you know, a failed plan. And with that, with, with follow-up and, you know, keeping a little closer eye on them when they are released, um, from probation, I think would be a big help uh, in this. 
Um, you know, with over 18 year olds, I think someone said it earlier, I was gonna say it, but we are creating, you know, a pipeline prison. I mean, without having the quality programming, they're just sitting there. I mean, you know, there is some some hope for these kids because they are coming home. So why not get them some things that they like to do instead of forced to do and kind of, you know, get them engaged a little more. You know, it's a small number in there and we got a real good chance of changing some lives if we, um, you know, if we really put that effort into it. Um, I think I think someone said something about the out-of-county kids. I think that's a little misleading because a lot of our families are being pushed out of San Francisco, but yet they have a lot of ties in San Francisco. Um, yes, their residents might have changed, but for some, San Francisco is all they know. So that's why they, you know, straggle back here. So I think that out of, the out-of-county line is kind of a little misleading. Um, those are just my two cents. Um, I'm very involved in the community. I'm very active with, with these knuckleheads. And I think with the support and giving them the programming that they would like and what they would like to see instead of force on them, I think they would do a lot better. Thank you guys. Thank you. Next. Hello, commissioners. My name is Dinky Empty and I'm with TJCJ and the JJPA. Um, I greatly appreciate this administration's transparency around data and numbers. I want to sincerely thank the chief and her entire team for this work and this presentation. Um, it's more than what we've seen in any prior administration, and I appreciate that. I also wanted to comment on a couple of the points I saw in tonight's presentation. I saw that 64% were on an active caseload are in San Francisco programs. But I wonder, being in San Francisco, being a service provider, being the co-chair of the JJPA, what all programs are included in this percent? I ask because we want to ensure that these services are meaningful towards the support and growth and healing of a young person versus something like electronic monitoring which I heard President Brodkin mention, which would then feel like an unnecessary inflation of this number if it was included in that calculation. Um, I also hope the Commission can further discuss how to determine success. Seeing that 96% terminated successfully, this was jaw-dropping. This is an unprecedented percent, and I wonder if this could even begin to equate to recidivism. I wonder what exactly this, me this measurement implies or tells us about our youth and their experiences. And I hope this can be addressed. Thank you. Hmm. Uh, good after, good evening. My name is Oscar Pena. Um, community member, volunteer at Omega Boys Club, just actually left Juvenile Hall as we speak with Jack and Omega. And um, one of the things that I, I like to know more as one of the previous uh, public speakers said about disaggregating the data, um, because it's true, not too many people are incarcerated, our youth, there is a small number. Um, the other piece is that um, 
you know, we, 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 we tend to focus on, definitely, it's important to focus on what's happening with race, ethnicity, what are those numbers. But then there's also a big number of, we are seeing uh, Latinos, undocumented, that are going inside juvenile hall that are not also being counted for or spoken about. I just left from juvenile hall, like I said, and we have an undocumented youth up in there who only speaks Spanish. So what services is he receiving? Um, when we were doing program, you know, we were translating. Is there translators for these person other than just only in the court? Um, so there's other things that we do also have to focus and work together collaboratively. Uh, definitely there are ten, tons of different communities, organizations out there. And to tap into the right ones that can provide those services, I think that's very key to honing in on making sure that uh, they get the right services, the right support, and be able to move forward in reducing those numbers and providing the resources behind that. I was a case manager for many years, you know, and 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 that was my thing is making sure that I I got them off probation. I showed up to court, write the court reports, support them, but it's only a few of us that that actually um, are providing that equity, right? The equity uh, uh, component, and that's the key because we're we're always looking for equality. Everybody should get a case manager. Everybody should get a cup of water. When in fact, this kid might need something to eat instead of water. And so we have to look at the needs, we have to look at the equity piece, what is it, what's going on, the disparities in the neighborhoods, and then work together and try to uh, dismantle those numbers. So that's all for my two cents. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Michelle Alvarez Campos. I work with Instituto Familiar de la Raza, and I also am uh, part of the Juvenile Justice Providers Association. Um, I want to thank you for actually putting out this information. And as someone that's been doing community work for many years here in San Francisco, specifically for our youth and our families involved in the juvenile justice system, um, I did have some curiosity around the numbers. I appreciate the fact that we have quantitative numbers, but I do want to hear more of the youth and family stories. You know, it'd be nice to see some qualified things that will give us a narrative of what's going on. Looked at some of this report, uh, I was very curious about the referral to community programs. And I think someone asked um, earlier, like, is this referrals that just referrals are given and sent out? And how do we capture that young people that actually engage in services with the different CBOs um, is, a, is a whole other thing to capture because um, as someone that's been doing some of our own um, um, statistics, as far as our programs, I know for a fact in our programs with our young adults that are involved in mental health services, they actually don't get better short-term. It's really providing a relationship for them to be involved in services anywhere from a year to a year and a half where you actually see um, their functioning increase and, their, and them being more successful. So um, I'm really curious about like how some of that information and I'm, I'm looking forward to you guys doing a deep dive on like, well, what does the referral mean? How, how long do before they engage? Because building relationship takes a long time. We could get a referral, but young people and families that, you know, that are oppressed, that have historical oppression, don't trust people regardless if we're from CBOs. They see us as someone working with large systems and institutions that have historically been um, racist. 
So for us, building relationship with our young people are very important, and it does take time because, again, we're thinking of child, youth development, and those brains take a while to develop. You know, that just because they turn 17, 18 doesn't mean, you know, they, they've got their judgment, that front lobe of their brain isn't quite, you know, developed. So that's just something to look at. I'd, I'd like to get more information about that. Um, I, I, you know, success stories, you know, a 14-year-old being on probation, getting off in six months to a year is very different than a 17-year-old being on probation and getting off at 18. I also know that working with young people coming back from out-of-home placement and, and re-entry where I'm working with a young person and a family and providing mental health services that they've come to me already with several failed um, services, meaning they've gotten help, they were referred, but they didn't engage maybe, they didn't, maybe they weren't ready for services, but they have a long extensive history of being in services and for whatever reason they didn't work. So um, finding out like what is success, you know, to me a young person starting on probation at 16 and not getting off to the 20 could be Time's a success long term. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. This is Don Stickle. I'm the director of Sunset Youth Services and the co-chair of JJPA. Uh, like many others, I want to just echo the gratitude for the um, transparency that's being um, shown. And I have much appreciation for Chief Miller uh, for, you know, giving people a look behind the curtain, which is uh, kind of a first. Um, I. I think I I want to just say um, while I agree with uh, I agree with the idea of seeing where kids are down the road, I don't think that that should ever be the position of probation, especially when somebody has completed successfully completed uh, probation. The last thing we need to do is charge probation with checking on them and seeing how they're doing in a couple of years. Like we want probation to actually have their hands off of kids that are not on probation. And that's where I think the work of of community based organizations like Michelle was talking about really happens. Everybody has been talking for a while about this model program of rock that several people went out to see. And one of the things that they have that they say rock, right? Am I right? <laughs> anyway, the one in Baltimore. Um, they one of the things they say is they don't even talk. They don't even look at success until four years because they recognize that relationships take that long. And so I just want to remind everybody that this idea that even CBOs have to like report on um, successful outcomes to funders in a year is just it's really outdated and and ludicrous when we realize the value of what we're actually investing in, which is lives and relationships and um, and earning the right to journey with folks it doesn't happen quickly. And part of the things that we're building with uh, Katie and her team that ideally will get um, sorry, Chief Miller rude um, that will get uh, implemented will put uh, CBOs in in communication and in relationship or much earlier in the process with these folks so that we can actually track where they're at uh, years after probation. I think for many of us who have been doing this for a long time, I could I could tell you where many, many of the young people that we've worked with for 30 years are now and what's going on in their lives. So I do think that's really important and I but I don't think it should be held by probation. 
So anyway, thank you so much for uh, for this report and thank you. I look forward to continuing to work toward less kids locked up less time uh, and all of those things and also happy birthday, Margaret. <laughs> uh, there's no one else in the queue. Okay, this was very informative, really great information, gives us a lot of guideposts to follow for future discussion and work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think on the agenda now, I can't find the agenda, is a discussion of what the next agenda items will be. Is that on the agenda? Do you have she, kids me? Future you agenda have to vote on so the accepting? So comments. Um, till then about, you know, some follow up. Uh, I don't see any action that Actually, is desired or required now. So I'll move us on to the next item on the agenda. Which is the chief's report, yes. I think, yeah. and um, it is 730 and so whatever we can do to. <laughs> I'm not skipping my report because it's the one thing I can control in your meeting. Um, but there's not, it's not an extensive report, um, but it does have some, some action for you. So um, I'm going to wait for the slides to get put up and then Maria, you're going to advance them, right? Push them over there. Um, sit up. Uh, so we are not going to go through the monthly data report because you are dated out for tonight, but you do have the monthly data report for July. Yes. You have it. And the only thing that I want to touch on are a few changes we've made to those reports so that you know going forward. Um, so, and you'll see them in the, in the one that you have. So one is that we have added the peak population by month. We feel like it's an important metric to add in, in addition to the average daily population of kids who are in custody. Um, it significantly, I will note, we had 22 young people in the hall on Monday. And so we want to make sure that we're being aware of that number and transparent about it. Um, we've also added a program section. You'll see slides 29 and 30 of that monthly report will look a little different. And then we've removed the average length of stay by demographics because the numbers are so small. We're trying to stick with that commitment we've made. So I just wanted to highlight those, but we're not going to go into the data report this month. Agenda. Right, but you have the materials. So I just want to tell you that. Moving on to workforce. Um, so I'm going to do our monthly report on workforce. So in terms of departures um, at JPD, we had a utility worker and one of our as needed stationary engineers depart. We had a new stationary engineer come, um, as well as two provisional hall counselors. Um, so those are provisional positions um, that uh, we hire to make sure that we are at staffing capacity the way we need to be to operate the hall. Um, I met them both, they're great. Really wanna be working with our young people. Um, in terms of promotions, one of the folks uh, in Steve's shop, Wendy Lamb, was promoted to principal account clerk. And then Palay Otihiva, uh, who we have been joking has had the fastest trajectory in the history of Juvenile Hall, was promoted um, a couple months ago from uh, a counselor to be our um, assistant director at the hall. And now with Bobby Upal transitioning out of the hall director role back to probation services, Pillay is also the acting director right now. So he has two jobs uh, and it's a, a lot for him to take on. And I just, I can't say thank you enough to him for stepping into that space right now. 
That brings me to transitions. And so, like I mentioned, Bobby Upal, who I really want to thank for his hard and tremendous work running Juvenile Hall through the pandemic and uh, very hard hall inspections and just this huge time of transition has gone back to being a supervising probation officer at Ju in probation services. And I also want to acknowledge formally a transition that um, we've kind of seen in different meetings, some of you who have been in them, but Emily Fox, uh, who's one of our, who's our principal program and policy analyst, uh, who originally we brought in to do a lot of this community work and, and coordination liaisoning because of the unanticipated responsibilities we have with DJJ closing, we have really moved her full time into that responsibility. So she's doing everything from staffing the DJJ, DJJ realignment subcommittee to working with our hall staff every day on the programming that's coming into place back there for the young adults that we were just talking about and figuring out all of the different policies and procedures that have to go with that whole new function for us. Um, and then in terms of recruitments, we have three recruitments I just want to report on quickly. One is the director of juvenile facilities. So that is the hall director by a new name intentionally because that building holds both our long-term secure committed youth and our detained population. So we are in the middle of that hiring process. I want to really thank uh, the community members and our justice partners that have been participating in the interviews for that process. So we are in our second round of interviews of candidates for that job uh, and hope to have some conclusion on it in the next few weeks. Uh, we received uh, 40 people applied for that job from all over the country, which was really interesting to see at a time of real change and import for that role. Um, and then we have two open jobs out right now. One is the diversity, equity, and inclusion manager, which is um, was something that we brought to you in our budget in the spring. So we repurposed an existing position for this role. A lot of the departments in the city are doing this right now as a way to really lend the necessary attention to our racial equity action plans that we all have. Um, so that is out and we are getting applicants for it as we speak. And then the other position that's out right now is our youth justice transformation coordinator which also came to you in the budget process earlier in the spring. And that is also a repurposing of a vacant probation officer position. And the role of that person is really to do all of the staffing necessary for us to really be managing all of us along as we do the necessary changes that are really consistent with things we talked about tonight. So how is probation making sure that we are implementing the new policies, developing them with community, getting input on all of these different touch points and the ways we do our work? Um, the screen just went dead. Um, and then I also want to acknowledge uh, one other thing, which is in here, which is that we have a research fellow who's come to us. They're called from a program called San Francisco Fellows. You'll probably see her in future meetings. Her name is Angel Bista, and she's awesome. San Francisco Fellows is an incredibly competitive thing to be chosen for. They get over 400 applications a year, and we are lucky to get one of them at juvenile probation. So she'll be working in part to support the build out of our uh, data dashboards. I'm looking in the audience at Molly as I say that, and as well as doing research support for us. So she's wonderful. I just got to meet her yesterday um, and I hope you'll welcome her in the future. Uh, Selena will be supervising her. Do you want me to pause for questions or keep going? Keep going. Okay, moving on. So I want to report on a couple of things that are happening right now related to the department. These are things that are taking a lot of kind of our time of energy. The first is that we are Preparing right now for our annual inspection of the hall by the Board of State and Community Corrections. That is a really extensive process involving a lot of sharing of data and records, as well as a four day inspection that will be happening in October. 
um, and uh, Pillay is the primary, Pillay Otahiva, and his role is the primary person on that. Tim Diesel is also lending him a lot of support. Uh, we have a new inspector from the state this year. There are a lot of new kind of rules and powers that the state has for juvenile halls, um, including the ability to do unannounced visits, which is a really new thing. Um, but they're working through the inspection and we, we were spending a lot of time with him in the next few weeks. And then the other thing which just happened yesterday and was really cool is that with the closure of DJJ, there's a whole new office created at the state. It's called the Office of Youth and Community Restoration. It's part of the health department at the state because of the governor's uh, intention to really move this work around young people in custody through into a health lens, right? Into thinking about the work through a lens of wellness and restoration. Um, so it's a new office in the state and they are responsible for accepting and approving the realignment plans of all 58 counties and they are now traveling around the state looking at every secure youth treatment facility. So our young men who are here with us for a long time, there are 33 counties doing that across the state. So we were their 15th visit. They were here yesterday and they heard about the work of our DJJ subcommittee uh, and the work that we are doing to implement that programming specific to those young adults who are in custody. And it was just a really great experience. Um, to hear from them, to learn from them, and to show them what we have done and what we're trying to do and get to for the young men who we have for a long time. So I, we listed our visitors, um, and uh, they are really responsible for kind of the ongoing tracking of how we're doing our work here. They don't have inspection authority like the BSCC. It's a different role, um, but they are also now a very uh, important state government uh, partner and body um, who we will be interacting with. Can you advance it, Maria? And then just in terms of juvenile justice system updates, a few things um, in terms of the closed juvenile hall working group, we are waiting to hear from the board of supervisors about when they may schedule their next hearing to talk about what's happening with that process. I did have the ability on Monday to meet with um, supervisor Ronan's aide to talk about this and kind of understand where they are moving with it. Um, they're thinking through what their kind of ongoing monitoring will look like of the process. They are looking for a report back on us. Um, on the various recommendations in that plan. So only some of the recommendations are about the actual facility. 32 of them are about the way we change the way we do business. And they, they are asking us to bring some of that back to them. Um, they also wanted to know where we are on bringing on board um, a firm to work with all of us on thinking through what design may look like of a new place of detention. And so we let them know that we right now are looking at um, uh, RFPs that have been created across the state for um, bringing designers and architects online. We're looking at samples that the city has also created. JPD will be responsible for actually putting out to bid and for soliciting and bringing on board the architect firm that will work with us and with the community to do this project. We thought it was going to be managed by Department of Public Works, but it actually will be us. So we'll be working on that and we let them know that on Monday. In terms of justice reinvestment additional work, as folks know, we have had a couple requests for proposals out um, for, to fund both Credible Messenger Life Coaches and a whole range of whole family support. Um, this came, originated from our DJJ closure work, but we're making sure that we can have these services be available for all of the young people we work with. We received, I believe, 21 proposals for this RFP, and it's in its final decision stages now. Um, and then I wanted to note that DCYF is also bringing online a couple of positions that will have direct link and support to juvenile justice work. So as the amount of money that we uh, 
give to DCYF as justice investment to go into community significantly expands. We want to make sure that we're helping them to have the um, workforce to monitor and oversee those grants. So they're hiring these two positions that will work really closely on the justice related programs. So uh, we've been sharing those job announcements around along with the one that we're hiring so that we can get broad applications from the community. And then finally, and I'm really excited to say this, uh, we talk sometimes about uh, guaranteed income. We talk a lot about our AB 12 youth and how we're gonna make sure that we're supporting those young people when they come off foster care. So Human Service Agency and JPD um, have applied to the state to serve 150 young people, our AB 12 young adults who will be exiting the system as well as those who have exited the system now. Um, it's an application to the state for a competitive program that will result if we are awarded this um, in the ability to give those young people $1,200 a month for 18 months. So we are really excited to have that going in to the state. It's been a, uh, a lot of work uh, and a lot of collaboration between HSA and JPD to get that done. So we're uh, fingers crossed that those resources come to San Francisco. This is a relatively small number. It's hard for us to know whether the state's uh, interest will be in funding jurisdictions that may have many more young people than we do, but obviously uh, we think that we have a good application and a really demonstrated need to serve our young people in a place that's very expensive to live. Um, would it be okay to take questions on this part of the report so far and public testimony since the contracts thing is kind of a separate kind of item. So does anybody on the commission have questions or comments on the report of the chief? I do. Um, on the guaranteed income. So yes. is this the RFP that just went out? This it by the from the state. Yes. Yeah. This was an RFP from the state that San Francisco has applied for. Okay. No, I asked that question because I was just approached by UCSF and they're doing guaranteed income for 18 to 24 year olds. They're going to be taking applications in the next few days. I think they already got approved. Can you talk a little louder? Did you hear me? I, I heard you, but talking to the mic yeah. for folks at home. Yeah, so I just had, I just got approached by UCSF and they're doing guaranteed income for, um, you should reach out to me, Chief Miller. So they're doing guaranteed income, but they're actually going to start the application process next month on the 3rd. Fascinating. So, Thank you. That's become a very popular idea. It, it, it has. It has. When I was in social work school it, in 1967, we were all communists who thought that this was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. But um, it has oh, no, come it, to it, the fore. Yeah, so um, good. Thank you. Good yeah. Thing. No, yeah. Yeah. No. Reach um, out to me. I am in conversation with them now. Okay. Any other? Yeah. Yes. It's no really a question. I just want to thank um, Chief for. You are right. A lot of programs, city government, they are recruiting DEI now, which is really good. You know, it's long overdue. And I'm glad that, you know, we are part of that. Hopefully, when it is time to hire somebody who really, really understands what is going on. Mm -hmm. But this is an important start. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, can I just, uh, are the results of the inspection, are those public at some point? 
Um, so we receive a letter from the state. So everything between mm -hmm. us and the state is public, right? Okay. They're all public records. And we receive a letter from the state at the end of the process after kind of the back and forth. It can take a few months mm -hmm. of back and forth and them coming in for site visits and then ultimately results in a document. Okay. Yeah. If you could just include that in our package, sure. we don't have to discuss it necessarily. Sure. And, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't note for this body, just as a reminder that the Juvenile Justice Commission, which is the other body we have in San Francisco, is the commission legally charged with the oversight of the facility. So they also then would get the results of that. Okay. So, is there any public comment? I have a quick question. On the, oh, uh, Madam President, did you wait, the, sorry. <laughs> the credible messenger life coaches, that's going to be through juvenile justice or DCYF? So, the grant will come from, so DCYF is issued the RFP. We worked on it together. Um, and the elements of it actually came through discussion of our DJJ realignment subcommittee. But it'll be grants from DCYF. And frankly, that's the direction we're moving with just about everything. We don't want to be the granting agency as probation. We want to do what we do, which is work with young people. And DCYF, we're so uniquely fortunate in San Francisco to have a body that does that. So we want to leverage them and work with them and, and have them be the ones actually awarding the grants especially because our community agencies who already often get a variety of grants from DCYF already have all the obligations to be reporting back and reporting data to that department. So it'll, it'll be from them. Okay. Just needed some clarity. Thanks. Right. I, I just want uh, one quick question, oh, Chief. Oh, I'm sorry. When I first came to the commission, we used to have something like a um, program for people who are housed at YGC, like culinary program, computer literacy, and things like that. Is that disappear? Is that still going on? What are they doing while they are still inside? Sure. So we do have a range of programs, and we can provide you the list of the existing programs for the general young people who are there kind of detained. We also can provide you with the current list of programming for the young adults who are in that long-term situation with us. And one of the things that isn't up and running yet, but we're using state funds to do right now is actually buy the equipment to have an outdoor kitchen for them great. to work in the gardens and do that culinary program again. That's great. Thanks. Okay. Is there public comment on the chief's report so far? Um, there's no one in the queue online. Anyone in our audience? Okay. Let's move on to the contracts. As you may recall, um, we decided, the commission decided that we wanted to um, review contracts. And the idea was that we would get a list of contracts for that were happening for the month. And if, if we want to pull those off the list to talk about, great. Otherwise, it would be on a consent calendar and we would approve it. So I have one question, which is, who's the ombudsman? Right. What is and that? I have a correction to make to that one. So I'm glad you asked. Um, so the X at the bottom of that one, I do need to correct. It's not a court-ordered service. So Title 15 requires every juvenile hall to have a process for resolving youth grievances. So when a young person has a grievance about any of the operations in the institution, so different counties do this different ways. The way that we do this in San Francisco is that we have this individual, the ombudsman, and we share this we share this ombudsman, Todd Wright, with HSA. He is also the one who handles the grievances for young people in placement who are in the child welfare system. So he does both. It's a bitted out contract. 
Um, so he won the award through a bidding process. And his job is to, for us, is to um, come multiple times a week to the facility uh, to look for young people know where to put their grievance when they have one. And he is the one who then does the initial follow up and working with the young person on the resolution of the grievance. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it requires investigation and follow up talking to our staff. It may require him talking more to the young person. Um, but it is our current way of meeting that title 15 obligation of having a process for resolving youth grievances. So we, it's not ordered by the court, but it is a requirement by the state that we have a process to do so. And this contract is just extending the time frame. Correct. It's just extending his existing one. Um, and then, and it will be, that's the amount of the contract, but it's a not to exceed. So it really depends on how much time he actually spends doing the work. And then we get billed for that. That's a really important job. He better be good. Yeah. <laughs> He's, and yes. Well, you never know till you get him. <laughs> um, is, Until you have a complaint. Yeah, exactly. Um, is the contract for the, the second contract for electronic monitoring, is that a new uh, organization? So it's a change for us in vendor. Um, and uh, it is a change in vendor and it is court ordered. So we wanted to make sure that we have the ability to provide the service. But yes, we have changed vendors through this contract from the one that we had for a long time. Um, we did it again pursuant to an RFP process that the city did. Both adult and juvenile are moving to this vendor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was just looking at the times from July to November next year. So What's the timeline now? You know, we haven't hired anybody, right? So is that going to be? For uh, which one? Uh, I'm talking about the or unit term. Oh, for the ombudsman. So that, right, that was the original term, and we just seek to extend Excellent. the grant out. Okay. Excellent. He's already in contract with us. Okay. But part of what we agreed on with the commission was that we would bring you extensions as well, mm -hmm. especially if we're adding money into it. Okay. So, are there any comment, public comments on the contracts? There's no one in the queue. Okay, hearing none, I think we are sort of compelled to approve these contracts or not. Or how how would that work? Um, so, should we? Yes, we should approve these contracts. Right, and, and so what we offered up is the language that HSA uses on its consent calendar, if you look on the slide, so okay. that you so that unless a right. commissioner wants to pull a particular one off and discuss and vote on it separately, you can approve them with a single vote if somebody makes that motion. So we pulled a few things off, asked some questions. The school board does the same thing. So um, is anybody prepared to make a motion to approve these contracts? So move. Second. Second. Can you call the roll? Cheryl. Margaret Brodkin. Yes. Linda Martley Jordan. Yes. Joanna Laco. Yes. Toye Moses. Yes. James Bengola. Yes. Motion passes. Great. So we'll move on to part B of item seven, which is the program committee. Do you wanna sort of share what you're up to? Sure. Um, 
So the program committee met last in July um, and kind of continued our discussion um, of many things, but the 707 B's and, and several in the use of warrants. Um, most of those items are kind of back on chief Miller's plate to figure out what the um, department can do and where kind of movement is possible. What are rules and what are bendable? Um, and so hoping that you can report back. In October, or, or whenever it makes sense for that. Um, so, on the, the, and I should note that the next week we've canceled the October, oh, sorry, the September program committee because uh, Chief Miller has a conflict. Um, but I do have a list of potential items that we could talk about at the next meeting, and I can read those to you all, and you can let me know if I've missed anything. It's too many, probably, for one meeting. I, I don't. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be great to hear okay. them and if anybody has an opinion, but otherwise I think we would leave it to your judgment to. Sure. Well, I look to my, my yeah. fellow committee members to let me know what you mm -hmm. think. Um, so get, getting an update from chief Miller on the uh, specifically on the car referral policies um, and kind of what what you all figured out. Um, thinking about our broader role on the program committee as developing a set of recommendations to give to the department and what. Those should should be, I mean, I think we have a couple of things that have come up so far, but we should think about how to word them and kind of what what we're asking for um, what that. Recommendation or request looks like, um, and then if there are any things that came up in today's annual report that we want to either dig. Into, um, or think about whether they warrant specific policy or program focus. Uh, I think it'd be good to talk about that. Um, specifically thinking, I mean, I think the AB 12 youth have always kind of been on our list and we haven't gotten there yet. Um, and then this idea of, you know, differentiated programming for the older youth or the first arrest population, uh, neighborhood based services. And then I just added thinking through what a more holistic measure of success looks like yeah. for probation. Uh, Supervision. That sounds like a year's work to yep. me. <laughs> um, so we have three of the committee members here. I, I think we'd like, I, I don't know, I'd like to recommend we put it in the hands of the committee how to prioritize those things. I'd like to just suggest that we add black girls. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, moving on to item eight, uh, all I wanted to say is, you know, um, point out that we have public comment. Oh, excuse me. Is there any pub public comment on, <laughs> on the program committee report? Um, There's no one in the queue. This, guys. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to move into item eight. Which is my report, which is all, all I wanted to say is that uh, we have two openings on the commission. So if people know people they think would be good, you apply through the mayor's office. We can give you more information about how to apply. You've all done it. So it's just incumbent on 
you know, the people in this community to see that we have a full complement of commissioners and have good people. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that Pauline Da Silva has retired after, oh my God, is it 12 years or no, I'm getting her and Joe mixed up. I think 14 years. And I think we ought to prepare a commendation and acknowledgement of this incredible amount of time she has devoted to this. Um, you know, I think this is something she's been considering for a while, and this seemed like the right time. So it puts us in a, so I would like to sort of vote on a commendation at the next meeting. Um, I'm happy to draft something. And um, uh, I, I, I have a question on that. Is that, I know that's an important spot. And my understanding is the commission, that person will be reporting to the commission or what? Right, the secretary? Or how does that go? What's the how does it work in terms of yeah let's ask, let steve answer this oh i see yeah uh, steve Barcelona, deputy director for administration uh it actually is something called a category four there are two positions that uh the chief can select one is her personal assistant cheryl the other is the commission secretary. So it doesn't require going out with an announcement. Uh, if we have an ideal candidate, uh, we can actually appoint. And this would be full-time or part-time or just as it was? The position right now is half-time. Um, we did do an analysis uh, on the hours and we determined that 30 hours is probably appropriate. Um, so that's the way that it would go into the budget, but we would have to wait until next year. Uh, until then, a person can work, uh, we call it straight time overtime. So if the position is budgeted for 20 hours, the person can work additional hours, uh, they would get straight time for that. I have to say we've been back and forth a lot about this, and that seems to be the best resolution of how to deal with the hours. So, so um, what's, what's the timeline on this? I know that's an important position. <laughs> uh, what is the timeline? How quickly can... I said it's the city. Talking it's from the, experience. Because we we can move this. as quickly as we can to find somebody. Okay. Um, ASAP, yeah. which yes. gets to the point that Cheryl Cowan, who has a thousand things to do with her life, yeah. has staffed tonight and is, thanks to the chief, yeah, will do some of the interim staff work until we get... Um, a person in place, and I, she's she's wonderful, and I can't thank her enough. And um, uh, does anybody want to say anything more about that? Because um, it's really fortunate for the commission that the department has stepped in mm -hmm. and has taken on the responsibility uh, for 
um, staffing this commission and um, you know, it, we really leave it up to them to figure out how best to do it until we have our own staff person. Uh, I just want to note that the Pauline's contact information is still on the agenda, so we should. Hopefully, no one emailed her. Okay. okay. What's on the agenda? She checked as an update. Cool. I have. The password for the phone, so the phone will be rolled over to me. I'll check it and I can change the email to perhaps. A generic commission yeah. secretary email. It's mm -hmm. a good idea. But I am aware that the agenda says that. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to say we will work to resolve this quickly because she does have a million things on her plate and this is not a long term solution. No. So I also want to thank Cheryl for this. She worked really hard to get this done tonight with everything else on her day job and I really funny. appreciate it. She had to well, thank you, but I, I am still in shock over the opening and I do apologize. I did the best I could at the beginning. So. Oh, it did happens every time. So don't worry. We are we are in awe and very grateful. So does anybody want to comment on this item on the agenda, item eight, about openings about both the staff and the commission? Okay. Hearing no public comment, um, I'll move on to item nine, which is future agenda items. And I do want to point out that we have agreed that the October meeting, we would talk about community-based organizations and listening to the feedback we got tonight from the Young Women's Freedom Center, from everybody, I am anticipating that that might be a two meeting um, mm -hmm. issue that we would talk about the issues we would send them to the program committee um, and I am reluctant to entertain um, a, a, a designate a, a specific item for November since I think a lot will depend on what happens in the program committee and what they want to bring back to the full commission, including what the chief is going to bring back related to the important things we were talking about. So unless anybody objects, I'd like to sort of make sure we do the community-based organization in October, keep November open pending um, recommendations from the program committee, the outcome of the October meeting, and the chief's readiness to come back with some of the updates from the program committee. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, good. <laughs> Does anybody have any comment on future? This would future, be really future agenda. What? Yeah, I was wondering. I was reading something yesterday about the new DA with the new program about um, juvenile. People who are under a certain age will be charged as so 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 so. And I was wondering, maybe after after the election, perhaps maybe we can ask somebody from the office just to come and brief us or explain that. It's all about. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I mean, my guess is. To, I mean, well, let's let's put that on the list yeah. and whether mm -hmm. it can be next, you know, in the next, I think we, they'll actually know more in the next couple of months. Exactly. As, 
those things evolve, but it, let's was make sure. Was he a newspaper sure. or something? He's showing something. This is the. This is a presenter from the district attorney's office. Oh, okay. I see. Let me know that. Okay. Referring right. juveniles to adult court, which right. is the first policy, the premier policy of our new DA. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, and uh, so I think we've dealt with future agenda items. I think that's an excellent idea, Toye. And do now. Uh, does anybody have any further comments or announcements? There, there is one thing I'd like to mention to you while you're talking about future agenda items that um, I was informed that you do have to do one more remote visit, one more off-site meeting this year. You have to do two unless you do some, decide not to. Before when, Sh Cheryl? It's your bylaws that you're doing twice in the Right, I understand that. I wrote that. <laughs> um, but when when's the year end? Sorry, I don't think saying. No, it doesn't. But it's up to your interpretation. rules. I think we all we know how hard it is to have a meeting in the community. It was almost impossible. And we did our but can I add to that? Can you help? But during the pandemic and with the pandemic, yeah, not, people are not being sure about their spaces, right? I don't think, really, I, I don't think it really nobody's does. gonna, yeah. I, don't think, I think if we violate our charter on this due to the pandemic, yeah, we will be forgiven. Well. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, we're home free. Yeah, we got a year to yeah. go. I, and I think it's, we're overdue for Bayview. I know we are over when I was the director that I hosted it. Right. And we're we having a new building, huh? we should be open next month. Maybe something I, we can I, think about. I'm oh, just overdue. trying to be sensitive to the enormous technical challenge that yeah. it has posed. So, Absolutely, the Bayview is the next one. Has to be, no questions. Um, but I would like to give it a little bit of time. Sure. So to hopefully this nightmare will relax a little. So um, does any any public comment on future agenda items or announcements? Okay, guys, we're getting close. <laughs> there's there's no um, one in the queue. Oh, thank you. So it is now eight twelve. Can I declare the meeting? Did we have to vote on the action? Okay. No. Okay. Great. No. <laughs> okay. It's now eight twelve, and I will declare the meeting adjourned. <laughs> and if you object, <laughs> we didn't we? <laughs> no, I just don't want to waste ending recording September 14th, 2022 juvenile probation commission meeting ends at 8, 12 PM. Ending recording. Minimal coffee. So a little waving. <laughs> <laughs>